0: Welcome to the podcast of Living Water Bible Fellowship. We are a church in Alamosa, Colorado, and here you can find our sermons and other occasional teachings. We hope and pray that this podcast encourages you in your walk with Jesus and increases your understanding of God's Word and the Gospel. Through Jesus, Anyone can have new life, can have freedom, and can have ultimate salvation. Stick around to the end of this podcast to learn more about what the gospel is and how to be saved. And now, on to our teaching.
1: Our Lord Jesus is worthy of worship. Our Lord Jesus is worthy of our deepest praise. Let us live lives that worship Him, glorify Him, and honor Him forever until He comes. Please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. Book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 1, please. Our Lord is worthy of worship. Our Lord is worthy of praise. Our Lord is worthy of our lives. May He be worshiped by His church. After this, I looked, and behold, the door standing open in heaven the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I'll show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. You remember last week as we went through this text, we, we were, were stunned and we were overwhelmed by the vision that John had of heaven. We have many connotations of heaven, many ideas of heaven, many of, uh, dreams of what it might look like. But what John is shown initially is a throne. He's shown the throne, the throne, and one seated on it—a glorious, awesome, powerful, eternal God. Uh, Before the service, somebody brought me some rocks. If you remember last week, we 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 discussed how God was shown, was seen uh, uh, to John, was uh, given a vision by. Uh, John was given a vision by the risen Jesus of, of what that God might look like. Uh, and it, all, all approximations, all, all, all pictures, because how can you sum up an infinite God? How can you describe him through human eyes? And you can't. And so in, in verse 3, he sat there, had the appearance of jasper in carnelian. We discussed that jasper has many colors and uh, the translucent stone, how that might the, the light going through the stone might be green or brown or yellow or or different colors but then carnelian is a red or an orange and so somebody showed me and uh, I don't want to spit on it to make it shine more but uh, there's an orange carnelian and a, a red carnelian and you can imagine uh, these translucent stones that is they they the fiery red maybe a throne uh, with with a rainbow around it an uh, emerald rainbow and the, the throne, as we, we don't have a description of it, but how glorious it might be and how awesome it might be in John's vision. And the one seated on the throne in images, uh, lights, uh, radiant light of, of diamonds and uh, jasper and, and carnelian fiery red. And just a, a picture, a, a, a symbol of the, the wonder of God uh, through his creation. You can never, never approach him as he is. Literally, but we can have approximations in our minds of what he looks like. So John is coming to us, and, and he's he's coming into this 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 vision. And chapters four and five go together; it's one vision. And uh, to a people that are suffering, to a people that don't know what the world holds, to a people that don't know what's coming, that uh, maybe more persecutions coming, more suffering, more more chaos in their lives. They don't know what's going to happen what Rome will bring, what the emperor will bring against them, how they might lose everything because they're following Jesus Christ. Uh, John is given a vision of a throne. At the center of all things, there is God. At the center of the universe, there is God. Rome's not in charge. That government's not in charge. That ruler's not in charge. That Lord is not in charge. Circumstances don't determine your fate. There is a throne, and everything else falls around the throne. Everything is bowing before the throne. All the heavenly creatures see God and they focus on Him. And we should do the same. Jesus Christ, the Father in heaven, the the Holy Spirit, who we should worship, worthy of our worship. They deserve our glory and honor and praise. Just as the heavenly beings give them worship, so should we. And so the, 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 the focal point of all life All of creation, all the angelic beings, of everything is upon the throne and the Lord. He rules, he reigns, he is the king. And so we move into chapter 5. And what does John see as the vision continues? Chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw at the right hand of him, in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. A vision of a throne, but then a vision of a great God. And we don't see clearly. Uh, We see through this this opaque, this this glass, this mirror, as it were. We, We can imagine with our mind what God might be like. High and seated on a throne. Exalted, but... What John sees, what John is given, the apocalypse of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus, Jesus shows him a picture, a scene, a sight, something to grasp upon in his mind. That within the hand of God, the right hand, the sovereign hand of God, the sovereign hand of power is a scroll. A scroll? What are we talking about here? He doesn't take the time to explain it. Probably scrolls in the ancient times had many uses, many meanings, many um, contents that covered many different arenas, different, different circumstances. But probably what we're meant to see is is a, a contract. Writing on the inside, writing on the outside. In ancient days, in Greco-Roman world, there were scrolls that had uh, contracts written up with a summary statement on the outside and on the inside, sealed that hidden are are all the contents of the contract. Maybe a will, maybe a testament, maybe a covenant. in the hand of Almighty God is a scroll. What could that mean? What, what, could, what could be in that scroll? What could be the picture that we're trying to, that John's trying to communicate to us? I tell you what I think it is. I think it's the plan of God. It's the will of God for the coming of the king. It's the will of God for the end of the world. It's the decrees of God for what's going to take place. Remember the vision as it started. Uh, the angel, the, uh, the, the voice called, uh, we think it's Jesus, called him up and he said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. A scene of a throne, a scene of a king on a throne, but now what will take place after this? What's going to take place? He has a scroll in his hand. Almighty God has His plan. His purpose for the world. His his purpose for the end of humanity. For the coming of the kingdom of God. For the beginning of the eternal state. And John looks and he sees this this, uh, scroll. And the mighty angel. uh, There's certain places in the book where the mighty angel proclaims in a loud voice. He sees this mighty angel and he hears the mighty angel The mighty angel, we don't know, is is this one of the great angels, Michael or Gabriel, we're we're not told. But his voice goes out throughout all creation. The realms of heaven, the realms of the living, the realms of the dead. Is there anyone worthy? Is there anyone worthy to open the scroll and says, look into its contents? Is there anyone worthy to unveil the plan of God? Is there anyone worthy to execute the plan of God, to take authority and to live out, to rule out, to command the decrees of God to take place. Uh, we see a drama taking place. Uh, we're not, the, the, the drama is, is such, a, it catches off guard because as the angel proclaims, and we don't know how long the time span is as, as the, the, the reverberations of his voice goes out to all creation, there's no answer. There, there, there's no, no one saying like Isaiah 6, here am I, send me. There, there, there's, there's nothing or nobody. Nobody is worthy. In other words, nobody has the authority. No one has the power. No one has the, the place. No one has the significance. No one has the worth. No one has the, 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 the power to fulfill The plan of God. And so John weeps. Why does he weep? The elder has lived his life since he was a young man following Jesus Christ. The elder has lived his life as a young man wanting the kingdom to come. That Lord's Prayer that we prayed earlier. Jesus himself taught John and the other apostles that prayer. May your name be hallowed. May your name be honored on on the whole earth. May you be exalted by everybody in the whole earth. May your kingdom come. How many decades has he been praying that prayer? Zealously, passionately, as he suffered for Jesus. He's shared the gospel again and again with people. As he's called people to walk with Jesus as their Lord and Savior. How many years has he prayed that prayer? Kingdom come. Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come and reign. Come and rule. And when he hears that no one is able to open the scrolls, the the scroll of God, the plan of God to implement it, to execute it, he's so devastated because he's living for the return of Jesus. He's living for the coming of the king. He sees the world and he sees his fellow believers suffering and being persecuted and being destroyed by the world. He says, please, Jesus, come. And so in his mind, as he's taken up in his vision, seems like there's this massive obstacle to the fulfillment of the will of God, the plan of God. Maybe it's shut. Maybe he'll never see it. Do you long for the coming of the king? Do you long for the return of Jesus Christ? Are you ready for the arrival of, of Jesus to the earth? John was. And it broke his heart to think that it might not take place. That the kingdom might not come. And so, what what a scene, what what a tragic scene. He's taken up to heaven. Hey, John, I'm going to show you what's going to take place soon, what what must take place. And there's no one who answers. But then, verse 5, one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll, and it's seven. Seals. A massive moment in the book of Revelation, a massive moment in history. An incredible statement, an incredible picture. He has conquered. What does that mean? Conquered what? Conquered who? What's transpired? What's happened? Well, notice the titles of Jesus. We move from eschatology to Christology. In other words, the the coming of the end, the promise of the end, the the scroll with God's revelation and and God's plan, it's there. And and what's going to happen? Well, one is worthy, and his name is Jesus Christ. But who is Jesus? What is his, his infinite worth, his being, his attributes, his characteristics? Why is he worthy? The root of David, the tribe of Judah, the lion of the tribe of Judah, this is the only place in the book of Revelation where lion is used. And lion symbolizes somebody who is powerful, someone who conquers, someone who defeats, someone who destroys, someone who's on, char- on top of things, in charge of all things. It's a messianic title that the Jews use. From, it's from Genesis 49. The scepter will come to him. The rain will come to him. This this descendant of Judah. Uh, The root of David is is a bit different um, picture in our minds. We see a lion, but have you ever looked at a root as something to be, something praiseworthy (laughs) or something to be lifted up? The root of David, a descendant of David. Uh, The the theme, the picture comes from Isaiah 11. And and just so you'll see and, and understand the, the warrior, the divine warrior portrayal here, what it means to be a conquering king and what God had intended. Look at Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 4. Oftentimes we read this during Christmas. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch from his roots that shall bear fruit. Notice what is upon him. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Jesus was anointed as the king. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This descendant of David. descendant of David's father Jesse. He will be this one who carries the spirit. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see. or decides disputes by what his ears hear. In other words, he's going to be a man that follows God. Completely, But with the righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek in the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. The root of Jesse, the the root of David, is another messianic title that was used for Jesus a lot. The anticipation of the Jewish people was that there was a king who was coming who would slay all the wicked, who would bring justice to the earth, who would end all as Isaiah said in 9, And all oppression who would bring the kingdom to the earth. And his reign and his rule would be forevermore. And so John is, is, is weeping and the other said, wait, wait. Uh, sometimes when we sing those songs, my God is a lion. <laughs> you know, some of the metaphors, some, some of the pictures We're not meant to think about that in a literal way. Think what's behind the metaphor. Think what's behind the pictures. He is a conquering king. He is a victorious king. He's an all-powerful, almighty Lord who's coming to win the world by His might, by His authority, by His strength. John is told... Weep no more for he has conquered. He can open the scroll and his seven seals. So we have in this picture, this, this scene, this, 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 vivid, this vivid vision of John. The king going to the throne and taking the scroll. Receiving from God the plan of God. The reign of the king becomes the reign of Jesus. The destiny of the world is in his his hands. The outcome, the outplay, the future, he holds it. He commands it. He decrees it. And it happens. But his conquering, his triumph, some of your translations said, he overcame. How did that take place? John, in verse 6, he sees something again. In verse 1, he saw at the right hand of him, he saw a scroll. and In verse 2, he saw this mighty angel. And in verse 6, he sees between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Consider the scene. The elder says, Look. Behold, the lion. And he looks and he beholds and he sees a slaughtered lamb. Can you imagine a more strange scene, greater mixed metaphors? Can you imagine the, the paradox, the struggle that John might be having in his vision? A lion, he turns to look and see a powerful reigning lord. A king in all his regalia, all his strength, all his might. And he turns and he sees a lamb with its throat cut. What a strange scene. He's conquered. Not through his power of 200 angels coming to destroy the earth. He's conquered not through his, his uh, mighty uh, decrees. He's conquered through his death. One of the great themes of the whole Bible is victory through sacrifice. Sacrifice. One of the great themes of the book of Revelation is overcoming through sacrifice. The king reigns through defeat, supposed defeat, through weakness, through sacrifice, through suffering. When it talks about Jesus overcoming, what we're talking about is Jesus overcame death, he overcame sin, he overcame Satan. This is a defeat of the devil. He is worthy to take the scroll because he's already defeated evil. Uh, let me describe that a little bit for you. Uh, in Colossians chapter, chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, one, one of the high statements of what Jesus has accomplished, verse 13 through 15. along with what Pete said during our communion service, we remembered that we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead in the uncircumcision of our flesh. But what did God do? God made alive together us alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, as he set aside, nailing to the cross. So there's a first scene here of, of Jesus being nailed to the cross and all because all of our sins are upon Him, all of our brokenness, all of our evil, all of our wickedness was carried by Him. When He's nailed to the cross, it's as if our debts have been nailed to the cross. It's as if there's been a statement placed in the cross, paid in full, that if you're in Jesus Christ, You don't you don't owe anything to God anymore. You don't, you don't, because it's been paid fully by Jesus, you're no longer in his debt, you're no longer struck in your sins, you're no longer captured by your sins and your in your guilt and your shame. It's been paid in full. But the other side of this, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities. He put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. How did he triumph? through his death. The, 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 the elder says, wait, wait, don't weep anymore. One has conquered. The lion has conquered. How did he conquer? He overcame evil. He won the victory against evil. He overcame Satan. He defeated the enemy through his death. He never gave in the sin. He never compromised. He never gave in the temptation. He always did what was right and just. And he went to death as an overcomer, he lived faithfully to the very end, faithful unto death, and that's how he won. That's how he conquered for us, for all the people that will be in the kingdom of God. It, it says it in several different places. Just just one more picture that you can see, uh, Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. At the incarnation, this is what we're celebrating on Christmas, he took our, our, our role, he became one of us, he took on flesh and blood, that through his death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. He rendered the Satan's uh, power, he rendered it, it in, insufficient, inadequate no longer powerful, no longer mighty, no longer capable of ruling over us. He's defeated the devil. It's a beautiful thing. In Revelation, the vision that John has, the incredible vision that he has back in verse 5: Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. He's conquered. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Jesus is worthy of our lives. He's worthy of our highest praise, our deepest praise because he has conquered. He's the victorious one. He's the Lord who has won. But he won through his death. Uh, The scroll is his. The power is his. The authority is his. the, 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 The rule to come is his. The execution of the plan is his. He is in total charge. He is the sovereign Lord. He's the one who has won. He's the one who will win. The picture of Jesus coming and Jesus' arrival and Jesus' sacrifice and his suffering and his death, it's portrayed in this picture of a lamb being slain. I saw that lamb standing as though it had been slain. How humble our God. How selfless our God, how incredible our God that he would allow himself to be killed for us, that he would shed his blood so we could be forgiven, so we could be accepted by God, received by God. It's an amazing thing. But we have this image of Jesus as the all-powerful one and Jesus as the slain one. And it moves beyond that and it says, And among the elders they saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. What's going on here? Can you see it in your mind's eye? Not just a slain lamb, but a conquering ram. Moves quickly. The Christology moves quickly. Be, Be... as these images pop up of a lion, of a slain lamb, and now a ram with seven horns. What, what's going on here? Uh, horns, in the ancient days, they connoted power. Several kings were known as a horn or described as, as their horn being a, a proof of their power, their authority and might. Jesus is the seven-horned lamb, ram, as it were. He's the one, seven, meaning completeness, fullness, Nothing lacking. He's the one with all the power. Again, look beyond the the, the pictures. Look beyond the the, the images and see Jesus as the all-powerful one. He's got the seven, it says the seven eyes. He has full knowledge, complete knowledge, full, complete, absolute wisdom. He's the God who nothing takes him by surprise. He's the God that knows everything before it happens. He's the Lord God Almighty, who is omniscient. The, the vision of chapter 4, man, he's, he's the one who, who reigns. He's the, as, as the angels cried, he's the holy, holy, holy one. He's separate from the world and also distinct from everything in the world. He's the eternal one, uh, the, the one that lives forever, who was and is and is to come. And he's the omnipotent one. This is Jesus in here, in this, this text. He's the all-powerful one, the lion. He's the sacrifice. He sacrificed himself, gave up his blood to save. But now he's, as it were, the one who is coming into the world to reign, to rule, to bring about the judgments of God. And in several places in Revelation, he's described, again, more paradox, more pictures that are seemingly contradictory, but they're not. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6, uh, verse uh, 16, here in, in the judgment, the first uh, set of seals, the six seals that's open, kind of a picture of the end, calling on the, 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 the unbelievers of the world, the, 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 the earth dwellers, as it were, calling on the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the lamb. Do you ever think that a lamb could be wrathful? Wrath is God's holy anger against sin. When, when Jesus starts opening the seals, can, can you see it? Can you get the picture of what, what John was brought to heaven to see? I want to come up here and I'll show you what's taking place. He receives a scroll, the plan of God. There's seven seals on the scroll. Perfect plan. A complete plan, a plan that's without flaw, without error. And as in Revelation chapter 6, Jesus starts breaking open the seals. He starts opening the plan of God. He starts unveiling the future of history. He starts bringing about the end that God has decreed, that God has foreordained, written since the creation of the world, that's going to play out in time. And He comes as the conqueror. He comes as the one, as the judge, as a ram with horns crushing and destroying and overcoming the wickedness of the world. 17.14 of Revelation. We see another picture uh, of Armageddon. What, what What happened at the cross? Victory was won at the cross. Victory happened, the hinge point of history, the turning point of history was Jesus' death on the cross. What happens after that is all cleanup. What happens after that is all fulfillment of what's already taken place. Uh, in, ancient, uh, in, in the last uh, 75 years, theologians and pastors have been fond of talking about D-Day. Uh, World War II, where that, 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 that victory that was won on, on that D-Day... Uh, The war didn't end for several months, but what happened after D-Day was just cleanup, battles and skirmishes where people still lost their lives, but the war the war had already been decided. The war was already decided, victory was already won some two thousand years ago at the cross. But Armageddon is, is Satan's attack, is Satan's attempt to to overcome, to win. He has no hope. Because they will make war on the Lamb. And the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of Lords. He is the king of kings and those who are with him are called and chosen and they're faithful. The conquering ram now is one day going to come upon the earth. and He's going to bring that army with him. He's going to bring his def- the defeat of, of the world with him. He's going to bring his kingdom and power and authority and might. It's an incredible scene, these first Seven verses of chapter five. The future of the world is in Jesus' hands. What's going to play out? It's not in our government's hands. It's not in our, vote, in, in our votes. It's not in some virus somewhere that's going to attack us again. It's not in AI's hands or some, some random government that uses AI in some way. The future is not in some random contingency happening there, some, some strange thing, accident happening there. The future of your life, in my life, the future of the world is in Jesus' hands. Amen. It's quite a scene, quite an awesome God we have. But the center of the text, it's not in some of these facts. It is in some of these facts. It's these truths, these realities that we know have come about, but... In Revelation 5, starting with Revelation 4, what John wants us to see is a result of how the whole creation worships. And you should worship too. Verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now you've got to imagine that scene. Sometimes we try to make uh, Revelation so literal. Uh, The angels prostrate themselves before God. They're holding a harp and holding a bowl. (laughs) How does that work? I don't know. But look behind the images. This is absolute worship. The worship leaders, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, the absolute prostrate. They're falling on their faces before the king of kings and the Lord of lords, our Lord Jesus Christ. They're giving him the praise and honor and glory he deserves. The, the bowl, the, the prayers of the saints. There, there's a place for your prayers in the play out of God's plan. I don't know how it works. I don't know how it comes about, but the prayers that you're praying right now for the resolution of, of maybe brokenness in your family, for the healing of the people in your life, for the salvation of those who are yet to be saved, somehow they go before the throne and God hears them and God implements them in his plan. I don't know how, but they're there. We get this, this picture of, of every one of your prayers being brought before God. Every one of your prayers lifted up to him, he hears them there before the throne of grace. But the, the harps, the, you know, the ancient times, the ethereal kind of scenes of harps being played. This, the picture of worship. But look, look what it says, how, how they sang a new song. New song. If you're taking notes, you can write down Exodus 15. Remember when, when Egypt came out of, uh, Israel came out of Egypt? What did Moses and all the, the Israelites do? They sang a new song. A song of victory. A song of, of triumph. Because of what God had done, you can write down Psalm 96. It's a wonderful psalm of a new song sung by the saints. So they sing this new song because of his death, because of his resurrection, the new covenant, the the, the coming of the king, how he started something new, a new salvation. They're overwhelmed by what? They said to him, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth." Then I looked and I heard around the throne and living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads. That's uh, the, the highest number in the Greco-Roman world was 10,000, so a myriad is 10,000. My, ten 10,000s by 10,000s, numbering 10,000s by 10,000s thousands, and thousands and thousands more. A hundred million angels around the throne saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom. And might, honor, and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, not some creatures, every creature in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and the sea, all of them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. God is worthy of our worship. Jesus is worthy of our worship. We should give God our highest praise. We should give God our deepest blessing. He is worthy of it all. Notice what they're focused on. Notice what captures the heart of heaven. Notice what the heavenly creatures, the the realm of heaven, what they celebrate. The angels, the four living creatures, the 24 elders. They look to the death of Jesus Christ. as the most amazing thing they can ever imagine. Worthy are you to take the scrolls and open its seals. In other words, you're worthy. You have the authority to take charge of the world for some of your translation because you were slain. Everything revolves around Jesus' death. The redemption of the world revolves. It starts. It, 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 the plan of God from eternity past played out. All the Old Testament foreshadowing, all the types, all the things that are pointing to Jesus. His death won the victory. And the angels can't believe it. The heavenly creatures can't believe it. They're stunned. They're amazed at what's transpired. So you can imagine the scene around the throne. We're stunned. We're amazed. We're we're overcome because you were slain by your blood. You ransom people for God. A huge theological term there. A a huge uh, thing that's packed full of understanding and, 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 and fact. The word ransom. Some Translation said, "You redeemed people. You redeemed. You ransomed. You rescued. What, what, what happened? You and I were enslaved to our sin. You and I were trapped. We were in bondage, dead in our tra- trespasses and sins." Uh, As Ephesians two, we we're doomed to be destroyed. We couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't rescue ourselves. But what did God do? He sent his son to redeem us. The purchase of us. The ransom of enslaved people. A price was paid, in other words. The price was Jesus' life. The price was the shedding of his blood, which pictures, which portrays the reality of his death. He died so that we wouldn't have to be judged for our sins. All of our sins led to us being guilty before God. There's no way that we could ever go to heaven in our guilt, in our wickedness, in our evil. But Jesus went to that cross. He bore our sins. He paid the price for all of our sins. He died in our place. He was judged for our sins. And when God looks at you, when you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you turn your life over to Him and you give Him your life, recognizing you're a sinner who does not deserve heaven, that you're a dead man walking in your sins and brokenness. When you trust in Jesus, God says the price has been paid. Your, your debt, your evil has all been taken away. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on the cross. You don't pay it anymore. Nailed to the cross is that, that sign, that picture Paid in full. That's what Jesus has done for us. The angels cry. You've done that where? From every tribe and language and people and nation. It's not like everybody around the world is all saved now. But without distinction, there's not a tribe. There's not a place anywhere where people aren't being written into the Lamb's book of life. There's a fourfold way of describing the world Uh, Every tribe, language, and people, and nation. Again, uh, the the highly um, structured and stylized uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation, seven times it says that in in seven different ways throughout the book. Meaning the fullness, the completeness. God's plan for salvation is full and complete. The elect will all come home in Jesus' redemption, in Jesus' ransom paid price. It's a glorious, it's a stunning thing. And the angels worship him because of it. You have made them. Notice what the ransom has accomplished. It's accomplished our salvation. But also look at verse 10. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign upon the earth. He's not only saved us, but he's given us purpose. He's given us meaning. Not now, not just now, but forever. He's made us a kingdom. In other words, he's made us his people. Through his death, his death not only made him worthy, as it were, showed his authority by being able to take the scroll, his death not only saved you from your sins, paying off your sins so that you could be justified and declared righteous before God, his death also created us to be a people of God from whatever ethnicity, whatever background, whatever race, whatever language, whatever tribe we're from, we're all being made a kingdom for him. And individually, we've all been made priests, servants of God. Every one of us, every one of us placed, because of Jesus' ransom, because of his sacrifice, because of his death, he's made us to be God's people, to serve him forever and ever. And the angels, the heavenly creatures, the 24 elders, they're in awe. We should be too. Jesus is worthy of our worship. Jesus is worthy of us living our life for him because of what he's done and who he is. The scene from 11 and 12. I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels. How do the angels, the, the, the myriad, of, myriad, myriads of angels, how do they describe? They give him a sevenfold. Again, this, this, this text The seven becomes appropriate again and again and again. The completeness, the fullness. They give him full praise. They give him full honor. They give him complete honor. How do they they worship? Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might, honor and glory and blessing. The first four are attributes of God. We praise you because you have all the power. You have the scroll. We praise you because you have all the wealth. Everything in the world is yours. We praise you because you have all the wisdom. You have the seven eyes. You, you lack no wisdom. We praise you because you have all the might in the world. You have all the strength. You have all the authority. The angels are crying. You can imagine the heavenly scene again and again when they're going around the throne. We praise you for these things, for who you are. And the, these are all the things that we also find in Revelation 4 the Father on the throne, the Lord God Almighty, Jesus is sovereign as well. One of the teachings of this text, it comes out subtly, but, but strongly. He is God. He is the one we should worship. And their prayer is that may all honor be given to you. By who? They're already given Him the honor. Their, their prayer is that all... Glory might be given to God, to Jesus Christ. By who? They're already giving Him glory. They're they're, they're saying, may all blessing be given to God. That's praise. Some of your translations say praise. May all honor and glory and praise be given to you. By who? Who are they speaking to? What is this revelation coming to? It's a prayer for us to give Him the glory. A prayer for us to give Him the praise. A prayer for us to give Him the honor that He deserves. He's the one who saved us. He's the one who redeemed us. He's the one who ransomed us. He's the one who rescued us. He's the one who reconciled us to God. He is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's stunning about this text again and again, we come to it, I heard every creature in heaven, verse 13, on the earth and under the earth and in the sea. Now imagine that scene. Every creature in the realms of heaven, every creature on the earth, All, every creature, every being that ever was under the earth, maybe the realms of the dead, and in the sea, a fourfold scope. Every creature, everywhere, that, that means a- angels, demons, humans, birds, fish, everything in, in the poetic picture of the vision. Everything that exists, exists for God's glory. Everything that exists ultimately will bow the knee. Everything that exists, all the animate creatures, even if they're not intelligent, in some way they will give glory to God. We should do it willingly. We should do it voluntarily. We should do it passionately. We should do it zealously because we have been redeemed. We've been rescued. The angels, the creatures, they give a fourfold response To him who sits on the throne of the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Again, praying that all the creatures of the world, all of us, would respond with those, those actions. That we would live for him and him alone. For he is worthy. And the four living creatures say, Amen. Res, resonating throughout the universe right now. The amen goes forth. The so be it goes forth. Do you hear the call? Do you hear the cry? Do you hear the command? Give glory to God. Live your life for the glory of God. Do you hear the, the heartbeat of the angels, their cry, the creatures, the their, their, their heavenly chorus is crying out. Give glory to God. Give honor to God. Give your life to God. Serve him with everything you are. For he is worthy. Amen? Amen. Please rise in the Lord's presence. Lord God Almighty, we come and uh, we come humbly today. We come uh, with our, our maybe our limited offerings. We come with our, our, our broken lives. We come with our, our struggles and our strains and our worries and our concerns. But we came here today to worship you. And so we pray that you'd be worshiped today. We pray that you'd be glorified today. We pray that you'd be honored today by us. Not just today, but forevermore. Lord, may you give us the grace and the power and the foresight, the the ideas to see what needs to be seen to live the way that we need to live. Because, Lord, you're worthy of our lives and you're worthy of praise. Let us live it out in our words. Let, let us live it out in our deeds. Let us live our, it out in our actions of love towards others. Let, let us live it out in so many small ways of kindnesses and, and caring for others. Let us be godly people, righteous people, holy people as an act of worship to you. Let us all resound with the heavenly creatures. Lord, give us the grace to worship you. Send us out in the world now with our families and our coworkers. And our neighbors. Let us live with the heaven, with the heavens, with the creatures in heavens. Let us live in worship to you. And may it be our act of worship every day and every way for your glory and your honor and your praise. Send us, Lord, you're worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go out in the power and the presence and the reality that Jesus is Lord. He loves you and He's
0: with you. Go in peace. Thank you so much for listening. The gospel according to the Bible is that Jesus Christ, who was and is the eternal God, took on human flesh, was born of a virgin, died for our sins on the cross, and rose from the dead three days later. He then ascended to the Father's right hand where He sits making intercession for His people. And right now, He is establishing the kingdom of God on earth. You can enter into a saving relationship with God by repenting of your sins and placing your full trust in Jesus' life, His death and resurrection on your behalf. In Christ, you will find forgiveness, acceptance, freedom, peace, hope, and a future. If you would like more information about Christianity or Living Water Bible Fellowship, visit our website at livingwateralamosa.org. God bless.